The scripture reading for this morning comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is God's word. If you think about the great feasts in our day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, wedding feasts, the amount of money that gets put into this, the amount of time that gets put into preparing the meal, the people who are invited to participate, the intimacy, the relationships that, that sum up these feasts. Even in our day, these meals are incredibly significant, and there are lots and lots of meals in the Bible just like this. It teaches us about the character of God, the character of Jesus, who he's about, what he's about, what it means to really get him, to understand him. This text, it teaches us specifically how we get him. Because here's the key is he's short, he's an outsider, he's dining with Jesus. He gets to dine with Jesus. That's, the, uh, that's pretty much what our series is about if you've been with us at any part of the summer. There are three things we're going to learn today. How do you get Jesus? How do you really get him or understand him? First, you've got to climb the tree. Second, you've got to fight through the crowd. And lastly, you've got to take him in. You've got to climb the tree. You've got to fight through the crowd. And you've got to take Jesus home. You've got to take him in. Pretty much, that's the story. That's how it goes. So first, uh, you've got to climb the tree. <clears throat> Verses um, 1 to 4. You know, the biggest barrier between our hearts uh, experiencing salvation, receiving salvation, is this. It's our pride. It's our dignity. In verses 1 to 4, Zacchaeus, what happens is Jesus is entering in from Jericho. Zacchaeus is fighting his way to go see Jesus. And he's a short man, so he's fighting through this crowd. Everybody wants to get to know Jesus. Everybody's fighting to to get near him, to touch him, to see him. And so here's Zacchaeus fighting through the crowd, realizes he's not going to be able to make it. He climbs up a tree just so that he could see this Jesus. He's trying to get close to him. When he gets up a tree, what's he doing? He's leaving behind his pride. He's leaving behind his dignity. One of my favorite movies, it's actually an old movie, 1984 it came out, Best Picture in 1984, Amadeus. You have Antonio Salieri, this composer. He's excited for the first time he gets a chance to meet the great Mozart. This prodigy, this young prodigy. But when he finally meets him, with all his anticipation, with all his excitement, to meet this great composer who at a very, very young age, I mean Mozart, he wrote his first symphony at the age of five, that's my understanding. He finally gets to see him. He realizes that Mozart is immature, he's crass, he's perverted, he's a womanizer, he's indecent. And so Salieri, this decent man, this royal man, he scoffs at him. My favorite book is Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen. You have the eldest daughter, Jane, who's going to meet Mr. Bingley. Jane is a lower middle class woman. Mr. Bingley is upper class, this, this incredibly wealthy man. Jane is off to see him, but she gets terribly ill. She gets incredibly sick. So she's at Bingley's house. Back then, they didn't have trains. They didn't have cars. She basically had to take a horse and carriage there. She couldn't make the trip back, so she's in bed. And so there's Lizzie Bennet, the main character, pretty much the main character of the story. Lizzie Bennet, what does she do? Runs through the rain, in the mud. She has to hitch up her dress and run through the mud. And when she finally arrives at this wealthy man's home who's entertaining other wealthy men, Elizabeth Bennet walks in. It is 
Jane Austen's way of punching that culture in the face because what Jane Austen is saying, here's this incredible, this is the modern woman, beautiful, feminine, and yet so indecent. Not acting feminine here. There's no trace of femininity there. Not in those days. No, she lacks propriety. Even in an informal culture such as ours, if you have a political official, a candidate, who, uh, who basically uh, makes a wrong, sarcastic comment, who acts improper, unbecoming of an official, we look at that person and we say, that's so unpresidential. That person is so unfit. If you have a public official who, you know, let's say one of our sports teams uh, wins uh, a championship, the national championship, then you have the streets filled. Broad Street gets filled. There's a parade. You have the mayor who wants to get close to the parade. He missed the bus. He missed the boat. So what does he do? Let's say he climbs up a tree. If there's a picture, even one picture shot of this mayor, of this official, he'd be the laughingstock of the entire city. Climbing up a tree, because even now, in an informal culture, it's undignified to do that. Even in our culture, we have to keep in mind, this, in Zacchaeus' time, this is a traditional culture. This is a culture that is banked on propriety. This is a culture where everybody is saving face. And so if you're wealthy, you do, there are all sorts of things you do not do because of your status. You, you, you don't show your skin. You don't let down your hair. You don't run. And you certainly don't climb up trees. So here's Zacchaeus in this traditional culture. He climbs up a tree to see Jesus Christ. He pays, he's paying an enormous price to do that because it makes him look like a child. It makes him look immature. It makes him look unprofessional. Because when you climb up a tree, you're looking undignified before people. You have, to, you have to swallow your pride. He lost his dignity in order to see Jesus. And yet, you can't have salvation. What this passage teaches us is unless you let go of your pride, unless you let go of your dignity, you cannot, you will not see Jesus. Jesus will not come in. Do you see that? Do you understand that? It takes a tremendous swallowing of your pride. You can't stand on your dignity. Dignity looks like a lot of different things. Dignity obviously looks like pride, but it also looks like fear. And so when, you, when you're do, you've done something that, that other people look down on, you run and you hide and you hide your face. That's pride. Pride isn't just looking low. Pride is actually the very reasons why we hide away, the very reasons why we cover over ourselves to look a certain way. That's pride. That's your dignity. You've got to swallow your dignity here, it says. In a sense, you've got to look like a child. In our co- culture, if you're a child, you can get away with everything. Our children in our culture today can get away with everything. But at some point, you get older. And the privileges that you've had as a child, as a child, you can sit down in front of a crowd and you can eat anything you want. You can interrupt conversations. You can throw things as you're eating them. You can run through a hall filled with people who are intently listening to somebody. You can run in and make noise, and you can cry and wail and scream. You can pound your fist. You can, you can, you can shout. You can do all sorts of things. You can throw things at people, and yet people say, oh, it's so cute, because you're your child. But when you get older, those privileges wear out. As a child, you're allowed to believe in Santa Claus. In fact, your parents tell you there's a Santa Claus. As a child, you believe in the Easter Bunny. As a child, you believe, it, you read books like Harry Potter and you're, and you're incredibly marvel at these books because you believe in the supernatural as a child, forces of good, forces of evil. At some point, you grow up and you read this, your tastes change because you're told that there's no such thing as a supernatural. We live in a post-enlightenment era Ever since the 1850s or so, we live in a post-enlightenment era, and as a result, we join with the philosophers who say there's no such thing as a supernatural. If you don't see it, you shouldn't believe it. We live in a very empirical culture. If you don't see it, you can't believe it. And so the concept of, you know, believing that there's something beyond the world, we're taught to believe that the world is all there is, that we're here by accident, that we're just a product of natural selection, that chemicals just colliding into each other just enough so that a cell could be born. We're taught that, um, that uh, uh, you need to survive, 
There's no room for, for nonsense. And when you die, you're just going to disappear. You're just going to ebb away. So good and evil as a result are just relative. That's what we're taught. You can't believe in God. You can't believe that there's a devil. You can't believe that they're in heaven or that there's a hell. That's primitive. Only primitive people do that. So if you want to believe that God actually broke into the world, born in a manger, defeated the powers of evil, defeated the powers of sin, and he rose triumphant over the grave, there's no dignity in that. Only primitive people believe that, we're told. You have to climb a tree. If you believe that, you've climbed the tree. If you actually believe that, if you're sitting here and say, no, that's what I believe, you've climbed the tree at some point. I told this story before. There was a, one of the Surgeon Generals over the past couple of decades, the Surgeon General of the United States, C. Everett Koop, he served uh, several terms under President Reagan as the uh, Surgeon General. He actually made his name here in Philadelphia. He studied here at Penn. Uh, I believe he was the chief, uh, I believe he was the uh, um, chief surgeon in a, at a children's hospital in Philadelphia. He uh, fell in love with a woman who was a Christian. He wasn't a believer. He believed, you know, all that stuff that people believe. It's primitive. And so C. Everett Coop was chasing after this woman, in love with this woman. The woman said, yeah, listen, I can't date you because basically I, I'm a Christian and you're not. I know you're not. And so she attended 10th Presbyterian Church in Center City. And um, C. Everett Coop said, well, you know, he says, you are welcome to come to church with me though. She's doing like missions dating, you know. You, you are welcome to come to church with me. So uh, basically they, they come together and uh, they, they go to church every Sunday. He's going to church. And James Montgomery Boyce, famous preacher, would be preaching here at the pulpit. And C. Everett Coop, this brilliant man, is sitting there in the pew and he would listen to these sermons and he'd say, that is a bunch of, I mean, you know, you, know, you can fill in the blank. But that is, this is just, who can believe this? And he's muttering under his breath and he says, who could believe this stuff? Several years later, I mean, he was in love with this woman. Several years later, he's sitting in the pew, and as James Montgomery Boyce is preaching, there's a man sitting several seats away from him, muttering under his breath, who could believe this stuff? This is a bunch of crap. And C. Everett Coops writes that he found himself getting upset, turning around and saying, you listen to what this man has to say? Listen to him. It's true. At some point, he realized, I've crossed the bridge. I've climbed up the tree. At some point, yeah, I look foolish, but I've climbed up the tree, and I see. Jesus himself said, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You get that? Unless you humble yourself as a child, unless you know you need a savior, unless you render yourself small, no matter who you are, no matter what your status, no matter how wealthy you are, no matter where you study, no matter what title you hold, unless you render yourself as small as a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You will not see me. So I'm going to sum this up, this first point. When you are a child, your heart is filled with wonder. And you read these fairy tales. But as you grow up, you tell yourself that you need something beyond these fairy tales, that you need something real, you need something true. But the gospel says it is true. That's, it's called the gospel. The story is true. The gospel says there is a supernatural world beyond our own. The gospel says there is an evil prince, an evil power, a sorcerer, and we're all under his spell, under his curse. The gospel says there is a hero, a tremendous prince who came from another world, broke into our world, and redeemed us with a sacrificial love. And that this sacrificial love redeemed us from the curse of all evil, from all time, just like all the other stories say. It sounds just like all the other stories because it is the true story from what all these other stories are based on. Harry Potter's mother, his, her sacrificial love makes it possible for Harry Potter to be redeemed from Voldemort, the great sorcerer, right? It's Beauty and the Beast. The curse that fell upon the land that transforms everybody to make them less than human, to dehumanize them, less than what they were designed to be. But only the gift of true love restores the kingdom to subsume everything that's broken and lost. It's Aslan, his sacrificial love for Edmund. The deeper magic before the dawn of time that the white witch did not see, that she did not know about. The gospel narrative is this it's that jesus is not just another wonderful story that leads to no real end 
Jesus is the underlying reality to which all these stories point out of. And if you believe it, if you experience it, it's going to fill your heart with wonder. You know, you can tell you don't believe. You can tell when somebody is a skeptic, no matter how long they've been in the church, when their faith is lifeless, when they're not filled with wonder anymore. If you believe it, it's going to bring your heart a wonder that's going to allow you to rest. Don't give up your wonder. Don't give up your hope. You have to climb up a tree. The reason why you've given up your wonder is because you're still in the mess, in the milieu, and you haven't climbed up the tree. You haven't looked primitive. Once you do that, it's not going to jade you. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna, it's going to restore wonder in your life. Are you willing to get up the tree? Are you, gonna, are you willing to climb up a tree? Secondly, you've got to get over the crowd. One of the main things that's keeping Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus because he's a short man. There's nothing he could do about it. There's nothing, it's not like he could grow taller. There's nothing he could do. It's his state. It's his condition. The one, thing that, one of the things that's keeping him from seeing Jesus is the crowd. Verse 7, it says it's the crowd. The crowd sees this fool climbing up a tree and they look down on him. They call him sinner. And yet, this is, and this is helpful. This is incredibly helpful for us. The one thing, first of all, the number one thing that keeps us from really seeing Christ, we just said it, is you don't want to look like a child. You don't want to look immature. You're not willing to climb up a tree. But the second biggest problem is your self-righteousness. And every one of us has it. Our religiosity. You don't have to be uh, in the church to be self-righteous. You can't get past the crowd. That's the Zacchaeus' problem. There's so many people in the world just like this. We're critical. We're exclusive. It could be because of your status. It could be because of your money. It could be because of your educational status. No matter what it is, it could be the fact that you've been to church, you know all the ropes, you understand the law. Whatever it is, it makes you critical of other people, skeptical of other people, distancing yourselves from certain types of people, exclusive. You use your know-how in an impressive matter, in an abusive matter. We beat people up that we look down on. That's what we do. We look down on people who don't share our beliefs, who don't share our thoughts, who don't share our practices. And we see this, you know, the history of the church. The history of the church is a beautiful thing, but it's also filled with a lot of brokenness. A lot of people who've come down on other people, oppressing them, abusing them, using in the name of the church, in the name of Christ, abusing people. So many people professing to be Christians who are like this. And you can tell this, you can tell people who are like this because they subtly act. They act as if they're on the inside, but really, well, they act like they're on the inside. They act like you're on the outside. But in reality, uh, it's, it's the opposite. And a lot of people have given up on Christianity because of this. Zacchaeus, he can't get past the crowd. He's struggling to get past the crowd. As a church planner, I meet a lot of people. I get to meet a lot of people. I get to meet a lot of people who are old. I get to meet a lot of people who are young in my lifetime. And uh, there's a lot of people that I've met over the years who do not want to come to church. They don't even want to consider coming back to the church. This is the reason. Because their thought goes like this. If Christianity is true, it cannot possibly produce people like this. It can't possibly do that. I wouldn't want to become like that. Who would want to become like that? Jesus... I read about Jesus. He's not like that. They're unattractive. They're repulsive. Deep inside, everybody knows they're bitter, they're angry, they're lonely, and they're deficient. Everybody knows it. But it seems like Christianity keeps producing people like this. Christianity seems to be a factory producing people like this. And as a result, there's no way that Christianity can be true. Jesus must just have been a good person. I meet a lot of people like that every week. This is what this text is teaching us. You need to do something. You need to do what Zacchaeus did. How did Zacchaeus get over this? He found the way to see Jesus apart from the crowd. He had to fight through the crowd. Not only did did the crowd not let him see Jesus, right? The crowd... It, basically, he didn't even try to see Jesus through the crowd. He realized he couldn't do that. There's no, I mean, he's too short. He was unable to see Jesus through the crowd. So he had to find a way to get beyond the crowd. 
He had to find a way to get over the crowd, get past the crowd, and see Jesus directly for himself. And this is the text's plea to you. You've got to see Jesus directly for yourself. It's kind of sad that I have to say this as a minister, uh, but I have to say this. You have to get past the self-righteousness of most Christians in the church. You see them, they're always fighting, they're always complaining, incredibly proud. You know, C.S. Lewis, great philosopher, Christian author, uh, one of the things, he writes this book called The Great Divorce. It's, a, it's an interesting book. It, it's his uh, view, philosophically, uh, influenced heavily by his Christian faith, about what heaven and hell would be like. It's kind of a, it's an, it's an analogy. And uh, here he is in hell. He gets to see the people, and all the people are kind of looking at the people entering heaven. And they see their status, and they see how the kinds of lives that these people live. And they get to enter into heaven, and these people are kind of standing to the side. They're actually in hell, and they're standing to the side and say, look at this. What are we going to do about all these types of people coming in? I mean, who's the owner of this place? Doesn't he, can't he do something about this? Stop these people from getting in? But the irony is that they're the ones that are in hell, you see. You've got to get past the hypocrisy. You've got to get past the inconsistency. You've got to get past the coldness. You've got to get past the gossiping. You've got to get past, I mean, that's a lot to get past. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to denigrate how difficult it is to get past all that. It is difficult. I'm the pastor of this church. I see it. It is difficult to get past the gossip. It is very difficult to get past the religiosity of the church. Incredibly dis- difficult. You've got to get past the agendas. I mean, I'm a pastor. I see lots of agendas, lots of angles every day. You have to do what Zacchaeus did. You have to do what he said. Basically, what he's saying is, uh, I'm going to find out who Jesus really is. I'm not going to, I mean, based on who I am, there's no way that through the crowd I'm going to be able to see Jesus. So I, have to get, I cannot allow myself to be affected by the, all the inconsistencies of the people around me. I mean, even though they're his followers, they say they're his followers. How does he do that? How did he do that? You have to look at the text. Notice here, um, Jesus in verse 10. He says, Zacchaeus, I got to come in. I must get in there with you. That's an amazing thing here. (laughs) You're going to find as you read the Bible that anytime Jesus is with prostitutes, lepers, all different kinds of people. Anytime he's with tax collectors, what people call sinners. Anytime he tells a story about these types of people, uh, it's always positive. It's generally a positive thing. I mean, he may say, yeah, you're a sinner, but come and be with me. There's always some level of intimacy that he, that he pours out on people like prostitutes and sinners. But Whenever, generally, with the exception, I can think of a few passages where he doesn't do it, and that's intentional because what Jesus is saying is everyone is invited to come to know me. Whether you're religious or irreligious, whether you're self-righteous or unrighteous, everyone can be invited. Everyone's got a chat. But generally, when he's with people, like tax collect, uh, with uh, Pharisees, teachers of the law, synagogue rulers, he's always arguing with them. He's always fighting with them. In fact, he's, the most harsh words that he uses are towards them. There's this passage in the Bible. I was going to print it. I was going to quote it and, and use it in our, in our bulletin. But there's this passage in the Bible, um, and, and this very portion where he's talking, I believe it's in the book of Luke, where he says, Woe to you, right, Chorazin. Now, if you knew anything about that town, Chorazin was a town. That town was filled with very righteous people. It was a very small town where people just loved to be righteous, And he says, I curse you. I curse you. And he says, you are like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, if you know, even if you haven't been in the church, you understand colloquially that Sodom and Gomorrah are very unrighteous cities that were ultimately doomed by God. God's wrath poured out on on Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, woe to you. He says, you religious people, all you do is pride yourself in being good. Woe to you. I curse you. You are no different than Sodom. That's what he says. An incredible text here. Anytime Jesus is with the religious, he puts them down. Generally speaking, you're going to find that Jesus is just as turned off by a lot of people in the church as we are. Turned off. The only place that Jesus ever denounces and yells at people, it's Bible teachers, religious leaders. 
Matthew 21 actually says, the pimps and the prostitutes will get into the kingdom before you. Incredibly harsh statement, that's what he says. The Sermon on the Mount is really structured around understanding the difference between a person who's pretty much grown up in a church and understands the law and a person who really needs the gospel. So Jesus is so down on self-righteousness, so down on our pride, he's down on the crowd. So don't let the crowd get in the way. That's my plea to you. But you don't have to even listen to me. Look at the text. The text is pleading to you. Jesus is also down on the crowd. Don't let the crowd get in the way. It didn't get in the way of Zacchaeus. Look at Luke chapter 7. It's a woman in the streets and a religious leader. Jesus honors the woman. Luke chapter 10 There's a Samaritan, a Levite, and a priest. Jesus honors the Samaritan man. Luke chapter 15, there's an elder brother who was good, who obeyed. And there's a younger brother who disobeyed and went out with prostitutes. And yet, he's the one that comes home and gets to feast. Over and over and over. And here in this text, you have Zacchaeus. He's an extortionist. He's a cheater. In many ways, synonymous with today's drug lords because he's not just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. That's like a drug lord. In those days, tax collectors were regarded pretty much like drug dealers in the corner. I'm going to explain to that in a second because in Roman colonies, you had tax collectors. They were Jewish. Tax collectors were Jewish serving, in a sense, the government, hired by the government, the government paid them a wage, but also what they did was they charged, the government charged exorbitant amounts for taxes to these Jews. So these people were hired to collect these taxes from their own people, but what they did was they added interest or something on top of what they were supposed to be charged so that they could skim that top off and keep it to themselves. So they were very wealthy, but because they were rejected by their own people, who could they possibly hang out with? They hung out with prostitutes. They hung out with very low people. They were very much like the drug dealers in our day. Everybody looked down on them. Nobody aspired to be a tax collector. If you, want, if you had the difference between a religious leader and a tax collector, who would you want as your neighbor? Think about it. You would want a Pharisee, a good person, a great citizen, somebody who holds a public position, somebody who's educated and wealthy. In fact, most of us today qualify as Pharisees. That's the turn in this passage. And Jesus, wow, Zacchaeus probably climbed up this tree. He's hanging there on the tree, looking out, looking for Jesus, looking for God in a sense. And people probably, you know, people see that and they know who he is because he collects their taxes, right? They're throwing stuff at him, you know, suddenly, definitely spitting at him, definitely talking about him, mocking him. Look at that guy. He is a fool. He's up on a tree, undignified. Has he no pride, you know, taking all of our money away, extorting us? Now he's he's got no pride, making fun of them, mocking him. So everyone despises these tax collectors. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. He's probably the leader of an entire region, so incredibly wealthy. Among his class, incredible status. Among the Romans, a man with a title. Jesus always says, Because he's so outside, even though he's got money, even though he's got titles, clearly it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And so he's let go of his pride, let go of his dignity. He's up on a tree and he's just waiting to see Christ. And Jesus comes over. Now think about it. The crowd is fighting to see Jesus. So here's Jesus being bumped, right? Everyone wants a piece of him. Everyone's got requests and pleas, and and, and they're just bumping against him. And Jesus stands by the tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down. Today, I need to be with you. I must stay with you. Can you imagine? He is restoring Zacchaeus' dignity. It's a new dignity. Zacchaeus, in his humility and his brokenness, is up on a tree, and, and he's saying, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm restoring to you. I'm restoring to you your dignity. That's what he's saying. I need to be with you. Jesus always says to the outsider, I want to come home with you. I need to come into your life. Why? Because religion, the cup is full. Religious people say, I know. You can tell because you sit in a community group and people are sharing and they say, yeah, 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 I know, I know. That's how you can tell somebody's religious. At least they're being religious at the time. They assume they know. And uh, the religious people, they say, I'm good enough. I'm working hard. 
I'm working, I'm, I'm working, I'm clawing away. It's tough, it's tough, but I'm getting there. I'm getting better. I'm working hard at this. I can reach up to God, but the gospel is I'm lost. There's no way. I'm short. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't, I gotta, I gotta do something about this. I can't do anything about it. I'm rendered short. The crowd is around me. They're mocking me. I have to fight through the crowd. Tremendous challenges in my life, but he doesn't blame the challenges. A true person who sees the gospel says, I'm lost, and I just want to see Jesus. Whatever it takes, I'm going to let go of my pride. I'm going to let go of my position. I'm going to let go of my status. And he does. He lets go of all of it. He even lets go of his money. You see it in this text. We're going to get there. You can't let the crowd from keeping you from seeing Jesus. You can't let the crowd from keeping you from seeing Christianity for what it really is. After all, if you're blaming self-righteous people, oh, they're the reason why I can't, then you're being self-righteous, right? You can't be mad at hypocrites. You can't be mad at people who are inconsistent. Come on, you've got to do this. Every one of us, to some degree, are inconsistent. Every one of us, to some degree, are hypocritical. Every one of us, you've got to get over the crowd. Don't let them from keeping you from seeing the beauty of Jesus, the love of Christ, from experiencing his love, the reality of the gospel. You have to find a way to see Jesus directly. See Jesus for who he really is. Hear Jesus say, I need to come with you. Don't let the crowd get in the way. So first, you've got to climb the tree. You've got to let go of your dignity. You've got to let go of your pride. Secondly, you've got to fight through the crowd. You've got to get over the crowd. Whatever it takes to get over the crowd. Lastly, you've got to take Jesus in. This part blew me away. This passage blows me away. Notice when Jesus finally gets to Zacchaeus, he doesn't say, all right, Zacchaeus, I see you up there. If you want to come down, you've got to believe in me. You've got to accept me. You've got to shape up your life here. That's not what Jesus says. What does he say? When Jesus reached the spot, he looks up and he says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, you used to be proud, but clearly you let go of your dignity. Clearly you surrendered a lot of who you are. You cl- clearly you surrendered all those things. In order for you to get up there, you must have let go of your identity. Come down. I'll let me in. I need to be with you. I need to come home with you. In verse 5, he says, I want to stay at your house. In verse 6, it says, Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus in. Verse 7, it says, all the people saw this, and they began to mutter, he's gone to be a guest of a sinner. The word guest, the word welcoming in, the word stay, it literally means stay for a while, to live with this person. It means Jesus, he didn't just stay for a meal. You get the impression that they just had like dinner together. He didn't just stay for dinner. He stayed for many dinners. He lived with Zacchaeus for a while. He lived with him. He ate with him. He slept in his home. And when he says, I'm coming home with you, Jesus is saying to us, to us, something very, very important. There are two things you need to do to take Jesus in. The first thing, what this teaches us is it gets across the order of salvation, how you get saved. You have to look at this. Does Zacchaeus say, all right, Jesus, I'm going to stop cheating people. I'm going to stop, you know, extorting people. And then Jesus says, good, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Come down and let me in. That's not what happens, right? That's that's pretty much the opposite happens. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come home with you. Zacchaeus hasn't even repented yet. Zacchaeus, I need to be with you, right? Zacchaeus didn't even invite Jesus in yet, right? Actually, Jesus said, I'm going to come into your house. He invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus doesn't say if you clean up your act, if you get it together, you know, if you stop cheating, get your life to get your act together, then I'm going to come and live with you. That's not what he says. You know what Jesus did? Imagine yourself to be a house. You're a broken house. You're a beat-up house. You've been put on, you know, foreclosure, and no one's touched you for a long time. So no one's gone in there and cleaned anything up, cobwebs, dirty things, you know, they're, they're boards sticking up. You walk along the floor. People just want to fall through. And Jesus comes across and says to the realtor, he says, okay, I see you own this house. It's broken. It's beaten up, and it's going to continue to stay this way until one day it's just going to come down altogether. I want to buy this house. And the owner says, are you sure you want to buy this house? I mean, it's beaten up. It's broken. I mean, you don't want this house. You deserve a big house. You deserve a mansion. You deserve a throne. And and Jesus says, no, no, no. I want this house. I want this particular house. I must get this house. And so the guy says, okay, well, make sure you get the loan approved and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. No, Here's cash. Boom. I'm putting it down in full. I'm paying for this house right now. You sure you want to do that? It's broken. It's beaten up. You sure you want to do that? Jesus says, I want this house in full. 
all right, well, you're going to have to put in some extra money. You're going to have to go in there and pay some people to clean it up. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to clean it up. I know exactly what I want this house to be. I know exactly how this house should be. So I'm going to move in today. Are you sure? I mean, the last time somebody tried to do that, they fell right through the floor. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to go in there. And it's the image of Jesus coming into the house and slowly cleaning up every room because he's come in. That's Jesus Christ. He invites himself in. He buys the place in full. That's what's going on here. He doesn't say, you know, I'm going to wait till you fix yourself up, all of you. Jesus came because you can't do that. You see that? He says, I must eat with you. That's why he says, I need to come in. I need to come in, Zacchaeus. This part's amazing because look at the response. There's joy. Verse 6, there's joy. When Zacchaeus says, I'm going to stop cheating people, he begins and he says, look, Lord. That's a very emotional statement that, that he's saying. He's so overjoyed. He's saying, Lord, look at this. You've invited me in. Look, I used to hoard money. I used to cheat people. If I have cheated anybody, I will pay them back. But I'm not just going to pay them back. I will give them even more. All of a sudden, this thing, remember, he traded in his own people for money. And now he's saying, I'm going to give it up. All of a sudden, he's just radically becoming generous. His life is just changing. You know why? Because Jesus came into the house. Jesus has come in. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. He's restoring his true self, his true dignity. I must come in with you. And Zacchaeus says, wow, Lord, look, I'm giving it up. I gave up my pride, and now that you've come in, I'm giving up everything. Everything that I valued at one point. Because of this, I lost my community. Because of this, I lost all my friends. Everyone hates me. Everyone's rejected me. I have no friends. I'm hanging around in the lowest of places. I'm going to give it all up. I'm giving it up for you. I'm giving it up, you see. Because there's, there's a joy that has come in. Before, money was his joy. And because of money, it's not like he was like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there were days when he was happy. But something compelled him. He realized it wasn't enough. Sure, it made him happy at some times, but it wasn't enough. His title wasn't enough. The people, the friends, he had plenty of friends. He had money, but it wasn't enough. He, it was definitely worth giving up all of his people for, but it wasn't enough. And he says, I need, to come, I need you to come in. And now that you're here, joy. Man, take this too. And you know what? I'm going to pay these people four times the amount. Four times the amount. Do you know that in the law, it's not like he's saying, Jesus, I used to cheat people, now I'm going to obey the law. The law actually requires for you to just pay the person back in full. That's what the law uh, requires. In some cases, maybe double. The kid says, I'm going to do even more than that. Why? To earn his salvation? Why? To earn Jesus' love? He already has Jesus' love. Jesus said, come down. I'm coming over. I'm staying with you. All these people, you don't think that they wanted to hang out with Jesus? He says, I must stay with you tonight. That's an amazing thing. The change is a result of the love. You see, invitations to meals back then were so intimate. You stayed over someone else. It was so intimate. He calls him Lord. What he's basically saying is, I want you in my house, and I want you to take over my house. That's what he's saying. I want you to be Lord. Have you done that in your life? There are a lot of people here that have been walking with us for years. But have you let him in? Have you asked him to take over your life? Jesus doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to wait till you clean up your act. Some of you are just waiting because you're saying, you know what, I just need to get a little bit better before I get in there. You can't. That's not bad news, by the way. That's good news. Because Jesus said, I can. I have come. The last verse, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So what's the prerequisite to be saved? You have to say, I'm lost. I'm lost without you. That's the first thing we learned. The order of salvation is not clean up your act and get saved, but Jesus comes in and that, through joy, allows you to obey. It powers your obedience. Secondly, this is the last part of this. Grace will always definitively change you, really radically change you. 
Here are the people now, there's still a crowd, and they see Jesus walking off with Zacchaeus. And they're waiting for days. I mean, they took forever to get to Jesus, and Jesus is hanging out with Zacchaeus. Of all people he could have hung out with, he's with, Jesus. He's with Zacchaeus. And they're wondering, how many, when's this guy going to come out? So he's, they're just waiting, and they said, man, this guy, he's, he's become a, a guest of a sinner. That's what they're saying. That's what they're crying about. That's what they're upset about. God wants you to pay attention. He's getting your attention here, all right? In those days, to go home to eat with somebody, it really meant something important. Because what it meant was you're participating in this person's life completely. To go over someone's house for dinner back then. Remember, no electricity back then. So imagine you worked all day, right? Hot sun, you work all day, you wash up, you sit down for dinner, right? And there's no electricity. You got a candle. It gets dark pretty fast. So you're eating dinner and it just gets dark. There ain't no TV. There's no cable. There's no sports to go watch. You basically ate and then you're like, All right, good night. (laughs) And you go to bed. That's pretty much what happened. So when people came over and they ate with you, they were the closest friends. It wasn't like you had to clean the house. You know, in our our culture, when somebody important comes over, you have to take the time to clean the house. By the time you're done cleaning the house, it's nighttime. And there's no light. So you came in and they see the mess. There's children running around and there's messy in the house. And you just got back from work, so it's dirty. And not only that, that's the time when you get to let your hair down. You never let your hair down in public. You let your hair down at night with your family. And so that's the time when you can kick back. And so whatever you do as a family, whatever you do with your closest friends, that's what Jesus was inviting himself. Now, all of you hung out last night. And if you didn't, find people to hang out with on Saturday night, okay? But all of you hang out, hanging out Saturday night, it's your closest friends usually, people that you're intimate with, people that you enjoy being with. And you're going to be, you say, I love these people because I can be myself. And what that usually means is, what that usually means is, I can be dirty, you know, I can drink whatever I want, I can do whatever I want, and these people do not judge. I feel absolutely comfortable. Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, I'm coming in. You know what he's saying? These people are saying? They're saying, you know, generally, let's say you meet a friend and you get pretty close. And they invite, after a while, you get in the habit of hanging out every Saturday. You start to share very intimate things with these people, right? You start to, after a while, you know, before, I used to have people over. When they first come over to the pastor's house, they come over and they're like, you know, they sit there very proper. After, you know, and uh, it takes about like six months to a year, but, you know, they come over and they're like, hey, would you mind if I use the bathroom? I'm like, yeah, sure, you know. Uh, Do you mind if I get a drink? You know, sometimes, you know, in an Asian culture, a lot of times they they don't even ask for a drink until you offer, you know. I I realize an hour and a half goes by, we're talking. But you want a drink? They're like, yes, you know. Um, So what happens after a while, um, you know, you you get in the habit of hanging out with people and they see how you live, you know. They see how you fight with your wife. You know, because you can't hide that stuff too many weeks, right? They see how you, you are with your children because you can't hide that. In the beginning, they're proper. They wear a tie. You come over for dinner, they're like wearing a tie. After a while, they're like walking around naked. You know, that's how it is, right? Because after all, you just can't keep up the pretenses. These people are looking at Jesus because they know after a while, when you hang out and you talk about the same things and you hang out and you watch the same things and you're, you're with the same people, you become like each other, right? You become like each other. You start to you together because you enjoy the same things. And you start to rub off on the other person. You never try this? You got to try this. You never try this food? You got to try this, right? You never tried this drink? You got to try this, right? That's what happens. Jesus is staying with Zacchaeus for days. What are these people saying? It's not just about he is living, he's, he's hanging with a sinner. What they're saying is he's becoming like them. Jesus is becoming like them. He must be. Because we all do that. I mean, any guy who stays with a person that many days, he must be like them. That's what they're saying. They're, they're coming down. They're looking down not, on, not just on Zacchaeus, but they're looking down on, Z- on Jesus. He's saying, here's this guy who welcomes himself into the house of sinners, and he's becoming just like them. He's taking part in their life mutually. The center of the family life, the duration, the preparation, the money, you're letting your hair down after a while, the conversations that take place over days after days, meal after meal, and then you go to sleep together, you wake up together, after a while you become like the person. The intimacy really calls for you to become like one another. And so to invite somebody into the meal, into that intimacy, you're inviting them into your secret life, the secret places of your home. 
the center of your home, he's becoming like them. That's how close they're becoming. Jesus is saying, if you want salvation, you don't just make me the center of your life for one and a half hours on Sunday. Don't do that. Don't make me the center of your life when the eagles aren't playing. Make me the center of your life. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's what he's saying. Let me in. Into the central part of your life. And when he does, the Bible says you have to give away 10% of your income to charity. Jesus says, as Zacchaeus says, I'm getting 50%. The Bible says when you cheat somebody, you have to pay them back the amount that you cheated them, plus 20% in some cases. Zacchaeus says, I'm paying that back four times the amount. 400%. Ridiculous. It's not just what's required. He's responding to grace. He's responding to his joy. He's becoming radical, reconciling. There's this creative response. He's becoming incredibly generous. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Open up, and I will come in, and I will eat with you. He's not just saying, just, Jesus is not just saying, believe me. He's saying, I'm coming in. I want to be a part of your life. Everything is going to change in your life. That's what he's saying. Everything is going to change in your life. That's what he's saying. By the way, Revelation chapter 3 was not written to non-believers. It was written to the church. God ain't no fool. He's writing to you. I'm standing at your door. Yes, you, who've been growing up in the church. That's what he's saying. If you want salvation flowing through your life, you can't just see him on Sunday. You have to bring him in and eat with him. You have to get intimate with him. Open up your brokenness. Open up your lostness. Open up the areas that you don't want Jesus to touch. Those are the things that are your true Jesus. Those are the things that are really going to save you in your mind. But when you come to Jesus, you have to let him into those things because Christ, and say, Jesus, Lord, look, Lord. That's what you've got to say. How do you do this? First of all, how does Jesus look at outsiders like Zacchaeus and say, you're in? How does that even happen? And how do you let Jesus in? We're going to close it with this. First of all, Jesus understands. Jesus says, I want you to come home with me. He doesn't look at you and he says, you know, you're very, very weak. And I'm very, very strong. Let me in so that my strength will flow through you. So that I can rub off on you. Kind of, but not really. That's not really what he's saying there. Kind of, but not really. What he's really saying is, I understand. I know it's hard. Without me, it's impossible. You know how much he understands? Jesus Christ is the ultimate insider. You cannot get more inside than I and the Father are one. You can't get more inside than that. The Trinity, that's about as inside as you can get. He says, in heaven, my Father is preparing all these rooms for you. You can't get more inside than calling God your father and saying heaven is your home. You can't get more inside than that. And yet, Jesus Christ came down to earth. And he was born not on a throne, but in a manger. And on the cross, he rose up, and on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, I was in, and now I'm out. I've been forsaken by Father. The ultimate insider became the ultimate outsider and took our penalty on himself. Look, Zacchaeus, he went up a tree. And Jesus Christ, he surrendered his dignity, surrendered his pride, and he went up a tree. And Jesus, seeing him up on the tree, says, I need you to come down, and I need to come in with you. You know why that's possible? Jesus came down, didn't he? Surrendered his dignity, surrendered his pride. He let go of his status. He let go of his wealth. He let go of Zacchaeus. I mean, he sacrificed for the sake of money. He sacrificed his family. He sacrificed his relationships. He sacrificed his friendships. He sacrificed his people. Jesus let go of his father. He distanced himself just by coming to earth. Jesus Christ let go of his wealth, his status, his riches. He let go of his dignity and his pride. And when he went up a different tree, people walked by and looked at him and said, that's a fool. He really let go of his dignity. And he really let go of his pride. 
the king of heaven let go of his ultimate dignity and pride and he went up that tree and people looked at him and they spit on him and they jeered him and they mocked him and they threw things at him. Sure, they did that. And he hung there and he says, I'm looking for God. And he couldn't find him. Zacchaeus was able to go up the tree and see God because Jesus went up the tree and he was forsaken by God. That's why he can let us in. He did it for you. He did it for me. Do you believe that? Jesus is saying, yeah, letting go of your dignity, I, if anybody understands, I understand. Letting go of your money, if anybody understands, I understand. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was wealthy, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. People are looking at him and saying, you are a sinner. You are, you are, you are acting like God. They, they didn't even know who he was, right? They didn't know what he was saying up there. And they're saying, look, he's, he's muttering. And he said, yeah, this man's a fool. But the worst part about it is when he's on the cross, his father turned his face away. He became unrecognizable to his father. He became on the outside. The ultimate insider became the ultimate outsider. Sacrificed his dignity, his pride, his honor to climb the ultimate tree, the symbol of shame. Got over the crowd. They're yelling at him. They're arguing with him. They're throwing things at him, spitting on him. And yet he got over the crowd, didn't he? He says, Father, forgive them. Do you see the beauty of Christ? The love of Christ? the grace of Christ. Do you see him? That's the real Jesus. That's going to give you the power to climb up the tree. That's going to give you the power to get over the crowd. That's going to give you the power to see Jesus. He comes to you and says, I'm coming in. I'm coming in. When you take Jesus in, Jesus' salvation then will flow through you. That power will flow through you to make you new. It made Zacchaeus new. It was so new. It brought Lazarus back from the dead. And he says, I am just the forefruit, the first fruit of many to come. Do you trust him? Do you see him? Climb up the tree. Get over the crowd. See him. Let's pray. Father, as we sing in response, let us remember your son, Jesus Christ, who cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's saying, you've left me. I'm on the outside. I've been cast out so that we can dine with you, so that you can stay with us. We ask, Lord, that Jesus come in. Father, if this is the first time that we say that, Lord, we just ask that the presence of God be real, that your presence would be real in our lives, that it would shape everything we are and everything we do, knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that it came with great cost, but, Lord, not our cost. It was free. Father, as we sing, like Zacchaeus, let us respond with joy because we've tasted your goodness again as we dine with you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.